If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Reach inside your bulletin, pull out your notes so you can follow along as we go through our message. If you don't have a Bible, everything will be on the screen. Or maybe you can download our Journey Church International app. Everything you see on our screens will be in your handheld device so that you can follow along. If you're joining us online and watching from somewhere else in the world, thanks for hanging out with us today in Lee Summit. We've been in a series called Goals. And today on Vision Sunday, we're really excited to share with you some things going on in our church. We're really excited to share with you kind of the direction of where we believe God is taking our church. But the direction of our church is always secondary to the direction of our people, what God is doing in your hearts and in your life. So our goal this month has been to help you discover God's purpose for your life. Who are you? Who did God create you to be? What did God create you to do? And how do you fulfill your purpose for your life? That's been our goal every week this month. And today, we're going to be in the book of Luke trying to figure out how Jesus says to do that. If you don't know who Luke is, or if you need some reacquaintance with Luke, let me give you some quick thoughts on who Luke is before we read his book. Luke was a Gentile. That means non-Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile medical doctor who became a follower of Jesus under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then he became one of the Apostle Paul's best friends. He became his traveling companion. They traveled together all through the book of Acts. He became his personal physician. He would take care of him after sometimes he was run out of cities, after he was beat, after he was starved. When he was in prison, Luke would take care of him. And he became a historian of Paul's ministry. He wrote down everything that he saw, that he witnessed. He wrote the book of Acts as an eyewitness to much of Paul's ministry. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, you see the words we a lot. That means Luke and Paul together, we were doing things. And he wrote a book uh, called the book of Luke as a historian interviewing the eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. And here's why he wrote both of these books, Luke and Acts. He wrote both Luke and Acts so Christians could believe with certainty the things they had been told and taught about Jesus and his church. Luke's one of the only New Testament writers who never personally met Jesus. So he opens both of his books by saying, listen, I heard about Jesus, but I had to make sure it was true. So I went and talked to people who were there, and I believe now with certainty these things really happen. Let me tell you what they told me about the eyewitness things that they had. Luke is a great book for those who are curious about Jesus. If they wonder if it's true, Luke is a historian who says, I only talk to people who were there and here's what they told me. Luke's gonna be our guidebook today for how to discover God's purpose for our life. And we know every time the people of God read the word of God, the spirit of God has a chance to kind of plant some seeds in our soul. That's our prayer today. So would you just bow your heads and would you pray that prayer with me from your heart to heaven, not out loud. Would you just ask God to speak to your heart Would you tell him that you'll listen? When the word of God is read by the people of God, the spirit of God has the opportunity to impact us deeply. God, that's what we want to happen today. So speak to our hearts. We're listening. We see things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, we'll end in verse 26, says this. One day Jesus was teaching. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village in Galilee, that's northern Israel, and from Judea and Jerusalem, that's southern Israel. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this. Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, 
To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today as we have tried this year to kind of discover God's purpose for our life. Every week we've started with a Bible text and said, what does it teach us? Today's teaches us three things that apply not just to your life, but to our church as we lay out our vision for this year. The first is this. We learn in Luke chapter 5 that the ministry of Jesus often drew a crowd that could not be contained. The ministry of Jesus often drew a crowd that could not be contained. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 5 in a little village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. Our next trip to Israel as a church, we've taken seven. We've taken over 100 people to Israel in January of 2020. If you're interested in going on the trip with three sign up after the 8 a.m. service, we'd love for you to go to Israel. One of the greatest places in Israel is Capernaum because we take some quiet time there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee to do devotions. And if you ever go to Capernaum, you're going to have this view while you pray and read your Bible. Go to the next picture, Scott, um, if you would. This is sitting on the shore of Capernaum, looking out under the Golan Heights, and they've got these old fashioned fishing boats that they take people on tours of. You get a chance to just kind of read, uh, read your Bible and pray and just meditate on scripture, maybe sing some worship songs. It's an unbelievable place. And then you leave there and you go into this ancient city of Capernaum. And you need to know ancient Capernaum is a great place to see the movement of Jesus' ministry. We learn from Luke 5 that Jesus' ministry often drew a crowd that couldn't be contained. But when you get to Capernaum, you learn that Jesus, when the crowd grew larger, the containers grew larger. Jesus started his ministry in in Capernaum in a house. Probably the house we're talking about in Luke chapter 5 that they lowered a man into. When the house became too full, it certainly was on this day. Might have been the last day they ever did ministry in this house. The owners of the house might have said, Jesus, you need to move. They might have said, Jesus, does your insurance policy cover our roof? I mean, I'm not sure what happened, but that might have been the last day in that house. When, they, when the house grew too small, it moved to the synagogue, which was a much larger building. In the ancient city of Capernaum, Jesus preached some of his most well-known sermons in Capernaum, in the synagogue in Capernaum. John chapter 6, after he fed the 5,000 and walked on water, he went back to the synagogue in Capernaum, and he preached this message about himself being the real bread of life that Jesus sent. And then when the synagogue wouldn't hold him, they continued into the countryside where the Sermon on the Mount was given, where a crowd of fifteen to 20,000 people, we think, gathered and listened to Jesus. The ministry of Jesus often grew a crowd that couldn't be contained, but the size of the containers changed. So when you walk into ancient Capernaum, you go through this gate past this monastery, and you walk in looking at a church that was built in 1990 that's actually the same size and shape of a church that had been there since the 5th century, Um, and they believe this church is over the house of where the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law lived, maybe where Luke chapter 5 was written, where this story happened. You go inside this church, and the church has a glass floor, so when you get in, you're actually looking into a first century dwelling place where they know a fisherman lived because they found fishing utensils, they found first century coins. They know in the first century, a fisherman lived in this house, and many people believe this is the view of Luke chapter 5. They think this might be the very spot these men lowered their friend into the lap of Jesus so that he could heal them. This might be the very spot. I know for a lot of you in our church, specifically for those of you who signed up to go to church at Summit Lake starting next week, this is the view of ministry that you have. 
you have this view of ministry that says nothing is going to stop us from getting people to Jesus. Like this is what, this is what your view of ministry is. Whatever it takes. If we have to tear the roof off, if we have to go someplace else, if we have to come at 8 a.m., if we have to go at 5 p.m., there are some of you, this is your view of ministry. Just whatever it takes. I just want to get more people in front of Jesus. When the house was too small, they went down the street to the synagogue, which is about a, a block in our time away, and the synagogue is much larger. This is a 4th century synagogue, but it was built right on the foundations. You can see the foundation of the 1st century synagogue where Jesus would have taught and ministered to people, where he would have healed people, where he would have preached some of his legendary messages. They, they went to the synagogue, which was a much, much larger building in the center of town. And then when the synagogue got full, they just kind of cascaded up the hillside where Jesus would eventually preach the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Church of the Mount of Beatitudes here. Here is Capernaum off in the distance. You can see how they just went from a house that they outgrew to a synagogue that they outgrew to. There was lots of room on the hillside for everyone. And you can see how the movement of of ministry moved as the crowds grew. Jesus just kept finding more space. And that sounds a lot like, as you look at our story, the story of Journey's ministry movement has these fingerprints of Jesus' spirit on them. Our story's really, really similar. Our story started in a house, my house, actually, my living room. Eight years ago yesterday, we had our first meeting in anything other than a house. I was reading through some of my old journals. We had 55 people. And I remember thinking, we're going to make it. Because the group that met in my house was 25, but we all agreed we had at least one person that we thought needed to be a part of this new church that we were starting, and they wouldn't fit in our house. So we rented out a little place called the Gamber Center. And we said, we'll, we'll, we'll have a bigger place so that we can all bring someone. And we more than doubled in one week. Everybody brought somebody. And I remember going home thinking, they, like, we get it. We get that church is not just for us, but it's for those in our lives. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to make it with 55 people. Eventually, we'd move to Summit Lakes Middle School. In 2013, we would purchase our Capernaum. We'd purchase kind of our ground where we would do ministry, the current property that we sit on, 1601 Southwest Missouri, 150 Highway. Here's 150 here, and here's the about 11 and a half acres that God gave us. We said, this is going to be our Capernaum. This is where we're going to base our ministry at it, but we didn't start with a church. We actually started in a house. There was an old farmhouse on this ground when we bought it, and this is where we did ministry for three years in our church, all our meetings, all our staff met here. If you say, where was that house on the property? Today, our preschoolers are doing their worship rally right where this bay window would be. That's where that house was on our property. And for three years, we did ministry there while doing church in the school. And then eventually we tore down the house and we built a church. um, And we said, we'll do ministry in a church. God kept expanding our containers. We did two services in Summit Lakes Middle School. When we started doing ministry in this building, we started with three. Within four months, we were doing four. Next Sunday, we'll go to five. Um, And we're trying to just stretch this facility every way that we can. We've broken ground. We're doubling our nursery space as we speak. As soon as the weather breaks, we're going to build a new parking lot. If you go to that next slide, guys, in in the back of our property, we're going to add a big parking lot back here just to help with traffic flow, really between the 9.30 and 11 a.m. services. But the reality is we can build new nurseries, we can build new parking. Um, None of those things allow us even one row of seats to bring somebody who's spiritually paralyzed and lay them before Jesus and say, he can help you. Like none of those changes allow us to take even one family that's spiritually limping and to give them a row of seats and say, here, we want to lay you before Jesus, he can help you. So we knew we had, I don't want to say a problem, but an opportunity. We went to our elders and our finance team in the spring and said, what are we, guys, what are we going to do? We're totally out of space. We need to build an auditorium. 
But if you look at where our property was, they said, you know, Christian, we really shouldn't build an auditorium unless God gives us more land, unless we have some countryside to expand to. A new auditorium without new parking just doesn't make sense. So before we really say yes on expanding an auditorium, we need to ask God to give us new ground. The problem is there are only two pieces of property that touch our property, and neither one of them were for sale. They said, what do you want me to do? Just call one of the neighbors and I tell them we need his ground? And they're like, yeah, like you're the pastor. Like that's, that's your job, sounds like... <laughs> we want you to do so i prayed and i called up our neighbor who lives on our east in the log cabin over here his name's steve he's a great guy been a great friend to our church since we've been here and said steve i know there's not a sign out front and i know we i know we've never talked about this um but would you sell us your ground because we feel like we need to expand would you would you consider selling us your ground he said let me talk to my wife and he came back 24 hours later and said yeah i'll sell you my ground and friday after more than six months of negotiations, environmental studies, surveys, Friday we closed on that ground, and we now own that 12 acres next door. When you look at where we were, here's our new property, which is just awesome. We have more than doubled our Capernaum. We also, if you look at the median cut here, one day we are not going to have to pull U-turns because we're going to be able to pull in left into our property and left out of our property. It's funny how I'm like, we have new land, and it's like golf clap, and it's like, no more U-turns. People are like, yeah, it's like this roar goes up. I know where your spiritual priorities are. That's okay. I listen closely. I know who to ask for money now when we have to build this um, road here. But when you look at our future property, who we are today, when you look at what God has given us, God has doubled our Capernaum. And, And guys, it's not so we can cut more grass. He's doubled our Capernaum because he wants to double our capacity, because he wants to double our impact. God wants us to have room for more people that need to be laid in front of Jesus to be forgiven, to be helped, to be made to walk forward again. God knows our church has more ministry to do. Jesus' ministry always draws a crowd bigger than the container that can handle it, but God expands it. Now, here's the personal application of this. What God is doing with our property is just a picture of what he wants to do in our people. What God's doing with our property, expanding the footprint, taking more space. What God is doing on our property is just a picture of what God wants to do in our people. You say, Christian, how do you mean that? Here's the spiritual application. God wants to take new territory in your life this year if you'd be willing to let him. If you'd be willing to make a scary phone call. If you'd be willing to pray in faith, if you'd be willing to look at something that says that would be impossible, that territory is not even up for sale for God. God wants to take some territory in your life that could radically change and improve your life if you'd be willing to let him. You say, what kind of territory in my life? Think supernaturally, something you didn't think you could ever walk away from. God, for some of you, wants to step into your fear that you've lived with every day for the last as long as you can remember. And he wants to take that territory and he wants to turn it into faith. God wants to step into some of your worries. Because every morning you get up and you worry about something else. And God says, I would like you to give me your territory called worry. And I would like this year to turn it into trust. God this year would like to take some of your doubt. And he would say, I'd like you to give me your territory called doubt. And I'd like you to give it to me. And I'd like you to learn to trust me. God would like for some of you to give him your pain and your hurt. So that he could begin to heal you. God would like for some of you to finally let him into bitterness in your life. Scripture says don't let a root of bitterness grow. Some of you have a bitterness tree. Some of you have a bitterness forest. 
And God said, I'd like to go there. I know it's been hard, but if you will let me into your bitterness, I can change your life. For some of you, it might be relational territory. God says, I want to be, be in your marriage. Let me into your marriage. I can help some of the difficult things going on. For some of you, it's your parenting. God's saying, let me help you with your parenting. Let me step into that area and have some territory there. For some of you, maybe it's your family or extended family that is in chaos. And God's saying, let me have some of that territory in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's a friendship that is broken or a relationship at work or at home. Maybe for some of you, it's your career. God is saying, I need some territory in your schedule because you don't even have 15 minutes a day to meet with me. God is saying this year, I need to change some things at your work because if you don't start going home in the evenings, your family's going to be convinced you don't care about them as much as you care about work. God wants for some of you to wipe your weekends because he wants you to be able to convince your kids by being at their stuff that you care about them. God wants you to take your vacation time this year and take your family out and spoil. He just wants some new territory in your life to expand his kingdom in your life. The question is, will you let him? See, what God's doing in our church is just a picture of what he wants to do in your life. He wants to expand his kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't stand still. God's kingdom doesn't go backwards. He he wants to move forward in your life. That's the first thing we learn from Luke chapter 5. The second is this. The supernatural ministry of Jesus always demands sacrifice. The supernatural ministry of Jesus demands sacrifices. These four men laid their friend at Jesus' feet. Look at what Jesus said in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. The key question in this text for us and for the people 2,000 years ago in Luke chapter 5 is this. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now think of the context. Jesus is trying to prove to them that he's God. Jesus is trying to prove to them that he's supernatural. Jesus is trying to prove to them that he can do things that only God can do. So he says to them, which one do you think is easier for me? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. If you're trying to prove that you're God to someone, but there might be a chance that you'll miss, which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, right? Because you can't really prove that one. You can say, just trust me, they are. We'll all find out one day in eternity. To say your sins are forgiven isn't really any skin off anybody's back in that context. But to say get up and walk, like you put your money where your mouth is. You either are supernatural or you're not. So Jesus said, which one do you think is easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to say get up and walk? But so that you can know, I'm not just saying your sins are forgiven, so you know that I'm supernatural, he told the paralyzed man, get up and walk. In hindsight, 2,000 years later looking at the question, the key question from Jesus means way more to us than it did to Jesus' original crowd. Because his original crowd would have thought it would be impossible for you to tell someone to get up and walk. But actually, we find out both of these statements, your sins are forgiven and get up and walk, both of them are statements that Jesus would have to prove. And both of these stories we know because we now know the rest of the story. One statement would demand that a man would get up, pick up his mat, and walk out. But the other statement would demand that a man would get up, take up his cross, and die. 
So when we look at it from our perspective, healing this man cost Jesus nothing. Forgiving this man cost Jesus everything. So when Jesus said, which one's easier, to forgive or to heal? Everyone thought, oh, to forgive. Jesus thought, if you only knew. If you only knew what it would cost me to forgive you. It's much easier for this man to take up his mat than for me to take up my cross, but I will. Because I love you, because I do forgive sins, because I am willing, I will take up my cross. The supernatural ministry of Jesus, uh, of forgiveness, demanded a sacrifice, and it was a sacrifice that Jesus was willing to pay. And what it teaches us as we look all through Scripture is that God never really has a plan that he's not willing to provide for. Whether it's an ark for Noah, whether it's a son for Abraham, whether it's a stone for David, whether it's a dream for Joseph or Daniel, every time God has this plan, he provides for this plan. So when you look at our miracle, I had to ask this fall, when our neighbor says, yeah, we'll save the ground, I had to ask God, what's your plan here? Because we don't want ground for ground. We're not real estate agents. We're not developers. We're not farmers. We don't need it for our animals. We don't need to plant crops. The only reason we would want land is to expand a building so we could minister to more people, but paying for land that would cost nearly a million dollars would actually delay the building. So we had to ask God, what's your plan for us to have land but that won't provide for us a building? God, what's your, what's your plan? How are you going to provide for that? And then I got a phone call. We have several business owners in our church who the way they kind of shape and structure their business is they pay themselves kind of a minimal monthly salary that covers all their bills, and a lot of them tithe off of that. Then they get to the end of the year, and they find out what their business grossed for the year, and they actually tithe off their business. We have a lot of guys who do that. One of them is a guy who at the end of every year will call myself or Pastor Scott, our executive pastor, and say, hey, I just did all my business finances. Um, We're going to give a gift. What do you need? What do you need? For the last four or five years, he'd call and say, hey, we've done our stuff. What do, you, what do you need? So I found myself in the middle of this season. He called me and said, what do you need? And I thought, well, we, we might need to eat lunch for this one. Like, and so, like, let's not talk over the phone. You might want to bring your wife with you. So we went out to lunch, he and his wife and Danielle and I. And I said, you ask. So let me tell you, here's, here's what we need. Here's what God has provided and, uh, and here's our need so that we don't have this huge delay. Do you want to help? And he looked at his wife. And I, t- I said, go home, pray for 24 hours. And he looked at his wife and they said, we don't need to pray. We'll buy the ground. And I said, all of it? Yep, all of it. We'll buy the ground. You build a building, we'll, we'll buy the ground. Um, we think God wants us to help you. God never has a plan that he's not willing to provide for. And if we could clap for land, we ought to certainly clap for a businessman that God would send to help us pay for that land. Folks, I've been in ministry for 20 years. That's abnormal. I don't have 10 of those stories. I have one, and it just happened. Because God has this supernatural plan that demands sacrifice, but he always sends someone who's willing to pick up the cross and run their portion of that race and that sacrifice. And here's the spiritual application. For you, the spiritual territory that God desires in your life this year is going to demand some type of sacrifice from you. That's why spiritual growth isn't easy. It's why everyone's not super close to Jesus because many aren't willing to sacrifice what's needed to move closer to Jesus. And your sacrifice probably won't demand life on a cross like Jesus did. 
to forgive. Your sacrifice probably won't demand maybe a decade's worth of income, like my friend, but it will demand something from you. It will cost you something to give Jesus more of you, but that sacrifice will be worth it because look at the result, number three, when God is moving and people are sacrificing, the kingdom of God is becoming greater in the hearts of people and in the life of a community. I haven't even read my favorite part of this story yet because we didn't get to verse 27. But when God moves and people are willing to sacrifice, the kingdom of God becomes greater in the hearts of people and greater in the life of a community. Look at verse 25. We're going to read through verse 27. Jesus told the guy, get up, go home. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he'd been lying on and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Look at 27 and 28. New verse is my favorite part of the story. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, he left everything and he followed him. Here's what we're going to learn. If you will be willing to give Jesus access to some territory in your life that he doesn't have yet. If you are willing to sacrifice something so that Jesus can have more of you. If you are willing to be the type of person who belongs to a type of organization that's willing to just keep tearing the roof off, if that's what it takes, to lay people in front of Jesus who need his healing. And if you are willing to let the movement of what God is doing work deep into your bones, people in your life are going to see it And they're going to be impacted by it. People like Levi. You say, who is Levi? Levi is also known as Matthew in the New Testament. He became the disciple of Jesus who would write the story of Jesus' life that is now the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. That was Levi. And I'm not sure what it was that day that captured his heart, but it was something. I don't know if it was the crowd. As he was sitting there, as he was just sitting at work, minding his business. I don't know if he saw the crowd and thought, man, what is happening at that house? And the crowd drew his curiosity. I don't know if he'd heard about the teacher as he sat every day by the roadside and maybe watched Jesus walk from the boats on the Sea of Galilee down Main Street to the synagogue. Maybe he'd heard about the teacher and had some interest in the teacher. Maybe it was the teaching. Maybe he'd heard a new guy talking about the kingdom of God and he thought that's That's really interesting. Maybe it was the friends willing to tear through a roof to lay their friend in front of Jesus. Maybe Levi was sitting at his tax booth thinking, I don't have a friend in the world who I feel like would do anything for me. And this group of people who follows Jesus, man, like they will do crazy things to help their friends who need help. Maybe it was the friends that he thought, I need people like that in my life. Maybe it was the forgiveness offered. Maybe he heard this guy inside says he can forgive people for their sins. Maybe it was the healing. Maybe he watched closely this guy be carried down the street. Maybe he got carried right by his tax booth and then he watched him not be able to fit in the door, not be able to fit in the windows. And he watched him climb the roof and then he disappeared. And then 10 minutes later, he comes walking out the door carrying his mat. Maybe it was the healing that he thought, wow, I got to check this out. Maybe it was just a love in Jesus' eyes. I cannot wait one day to look Jesus in the face. Maybe as Jesus walked out of the house, they caught eyes with each other. And maybe something in Jesus' eyes convinced him that the love of God was real and attainable. Maybe it was the invitation. Hey, come with me. I don't know what it was. But I know when God is moving and people are sacrificing, the kingdom of God is becoming greater in the hearts of people. 
And because of that, it's becoming greater in the community. Because Levi didn't just follow Jesus. His life would share Jesus with the world through a book that we have in our Bible is Matthew. The only reason you know anything about Joseph and the process he went through with Mary before Jesus was born is because of Matthew. He's the only guy who writes about Joseph. The only reason we know about the wise men who came from the Middle East and offered their gifts and about Herod trying to kill Jesus was, was because of Matthew. He's the only one who told us that portion of the Christmas story. Matthew was the only guy who laid out the Sermon in the Mount in three consecutive chapters so we could kind of get the gist of Jesus' teaching. Matthew's the only one who added the Beatitudes, probably because he walked up the hill from Capernaum and heard the thing given. Matthew was the only one who gives us the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the great compassion in Matthew chapter 25 that, that Christians are known by how they love and help people who are hurting. And the great commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 where he said, go and make disciples all over the world. Matthew gave us kind of those three nuggets of teaching because he watched the faith movement of others and he said, I'm in. Who's watching your life? Whose tax booth faces your house, faces your cubicle? Whose tax booth lines up with where your kids practice their sports and their dance and their gymnastics? Whose tax booth faces your life? And they've just been watching and waiting. But the more they see you, the more they hear about the Jesus that you follow and they think, I think I'd like some of that too. My vision for our church this year is one word. It's found in John Chapter 14, it's the word greater. As I've been praying and asking God, God, what do you want for our church in 2019? I feel like our 2019 ministry vision is one word. It's the one word for our church this year, greater. And here's what I believe that means. In John chapter 14, Jesus uses this word, speaking to his disciples, and it's really powerful. He says to his disciples in John 14, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So I'm praying this year that our church would have greater impact on people far from God than we've ever had. I'm praying this year that our church will have greater discipleship impact on Christians than we've ever had, that you'll become more passionate Christians than you've ever been. I'm praying this year that we will, the passionate Christians in our church, have greater impact on our community through community outreach and our world through global missions than we've ever had. I'm praying for greater. And as you look at our annual report that we send out today, you'll see that our past has been, has been great. I mean, seven and a half years as a church, we've seen... More than 2,000 people say that they've made spiritual decisions. We've seen nearly 500 of those baptized who have shared their story with the world and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Nearly 300 people from our church in the last seven and a half years have served on the foreign mission field with us. They've got a passport and they've gone to help people overseas. Nearly 1,000 people served our community last year just last year at Love Week, more than 1,000 people served 38 ministry partners in our community. Last week, our church had the honor of closing the mayor's character breakfast in prayer. They reached out to our church. There were more than 1,000 kind of businessmen and women leaders 
and servants from all over Lee Summit who really make a difference in the community. And they reached out to our church and said, we recognize your church as a valued ministry partner in Lee Summit. Would your pastor come and close in prayer? We want to thank you for who you guys are in our community. We've always said we want to be a church for our community, not just in our community. It took seven and a half years to get there. But the community now is saying, hey, you're important to us. Thanks for what you do. And we've invested nearly $1.3 million in missions since we began in 2011. And with all of that, I still believe that what, what is ahead is greater than what's behind. I believe it's greater. But it's only going to happen with a church full of people who are willing to give God more spiritual territory in their life to say, God, take more of me. And that's only going to happen if there's a church full of people who are willing to sacrifice this year so they can see the supernatural. And it's only going to happen if we all move together in the same direction so the community at large who's watching might think there's something worth seeing in us. I believe it can happen. Why? Because Jesus said whoever believes in him will do the works that he's been doing and they'll do even greater things than those. Because he's going to go sit by God and if you ask him for God's help, he's going to tell God, help them. And that's what we're going to do. I don't know about you, but I believe God is still at work in the world. Are you with me? I believe God's still at work in the world. I believe God has greater things to do in Kansas City. Are you with me? Like our city's only a few hundred years old. God's got greater things in our future than he does in our past. And I don't know about you, but I desire God to have more of me so I can have more of him. Anybody with me on that one? I desire for God to have more of me so I might experience more of him. That's our prayer this year, that God would do even greater things in our future than he's done in our past. He has started full speed. We now get to catch up as we surrender territory, sacrifice things, and try to run after him full speed. Will you pray with me?